Common, bienvenue, konnichiwa. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again. Episode 151, we've got a little bonus midweek episode for you. I'm Armish Phil. I'm Armish Ben. I'm Armish Matt. <laughs> the dwarf, the cripple and the mother of madness. And tonight's <laughs> special guest is none other than Ricky Verandis from the Ripple Effect. How are we doing, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. I was thinking before. I think we've got quite a lot of crossover and a lot of uh, a lot of things in common with our sort of philosophy on podcasting. Because um, you have a wide range of guests on the Ripple Effect, don't you? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of everything. People always ask when they find out that I have a podcast. They're like, "Oh, what do you you know? What do you talk about?" And I'm like, "Nothing specifically, you know." It, but uh, I do seem it, it does seem like sometimes from time to time I'll, I'll straight like. Now with this topic of uh you know coronavirus and the COVID thing, it seems like I've strayed away from comedians or or maybe um, you know musicians and other stuff other types of guests because it's such a hot topic and it there's so many people want to talk about it and so many good researchers. So sometimes I you know it seems like I'm dominated by what you would consider like just a typical alternative media podcast. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at my archives, I I have a little bit of everything from, you know, musicians, comedians, uh, documentary filmmakers, uh, you know, a, a little bit of everything, even some some uh, real curveballs like uh, Jack Abramoff, you know, the, the lobbyist has been on. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the documentary Casino Jack. There's also a movie, I believe, uh, HBO movie uh, of the same title. He was like considered one of the most powerful powerful lobbyist in American history, real interesting story. Um, him, you know, I've had Roger Stone on, I've had Freeway Rick Ross. So a lot of really just interest, Jesse Ventura, which I'm sure a lot of people, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of everything, if somebody's interesting or I find, I mean, it's sometimes people are like, Oh, you do research before a show. And I'm like, I don't really have to, because I never invite anybody on that. Uh, I'm a fan that I'm not a fan of. So, if I'm having them on, it's because I'm pretty familiar with their work and, uh, or there's something about them that I find interesting that I want to talk about. So it's pretty simple. I mean, I do from time to time, I'll, I'll kind of refresh my memory, you know, so I'll go back and if they're a filmmaker, I'll go back and watch maybe, their, you know, some of their films or I'll, I'll listen to a couple recent interviews and stuff like that. But it never feels like research because it just feels like I'm just learning, you know, because even if I, I didn't have that guest on, I'd be doing that anyways. But it is uh, it is fun. Like, for example, when I had Gerard Williams on recently, another guy from the UK, yeah. you know, who wrote uh, Grey Wolf. I haven't I haven't dibble dabbled in like World War Two in a long time or, you know, a lot of the Hitler stuff. So, you know, that's stuff that I just for some reason, I, I, I'm such a curious person that I'm constantly moving from one topic to another. And uh, and it was fun to get 
sometimes when you have certain guests on, it gives you a reason to go back into the, you know, that subject and, and research that topic again. So it was fun to be go, you know, to go back into world war two and, and learn some stuff or relearn some stuff about Hitler and, and some of that history or whatnot. So I think that's kind of fun too, because I, I, sometimes having a specific guest on will, force you to kind of look at something again that maybe you haven't looked at in a while or maybe research it again and uh, dive further deeper into a topic that maybe you've neglected or haven't looked at close to. So I think the whole aspect of it is just fun. That's one of the reasons I, one of the many reasons I love podcasts. And and I think you're you're learning, the listeners learning, we're all growing together. Uh, You know, I tell my listeners, it's a journey for all of us. I'm growing during these conversations. I'm learning during these conversations and, and my opinions and perspectives are being molded and being shaped while I'm having the show, which I think that's what we all should do because I I'm sure where you guys are from similar to, to the U S right now, it's just a lot of political bullshit. You know, it's people <laughs> yeah. just picking a team and defending that team. And it's not about looking at information. It's not about looking at, I mean, I get in discussions all the time. I, I was at my, my son's martial arts class uh, yesterday and they were talking about, you know, some, some moms were talking about some stuff in regards to wearing masks or whatnot. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, my kids have medical exemptions for their masks. And, uh, and you know, I'm like, wink, wink, you know, they they get panic attacks if they, if they wear one. And, uh, and, and I think it's bullshit, you know, and whatnot. And then, um, and then they're like, yeah, yeah. You know, and they, we all seem like we're on the same page. And then I'm like, well, hopefully maybe after the election, this shit will calm down. <laughs> and, uh, immediately I realized that she was, she must've been like a liberal or more left leaning. Cause she's like, well, I don't think the politics would, uh, would take advantage of such a tragedy to, you know, to, to, um, to do this or whatnot, to, uh, to use as a political weapon. I'm like, politicians will use anything as a political weapon, you know? And, but it's it just, it's amazing how like people will try to read you. And the second they think they know who you are, where you stand. Cause I, I, I told her, I'm like, just to let you know, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm like, I'm just, my opinions are based on just observing the information. I'm like, it's not because um, I'm defending this perspective because I'm on the right. I'm defending this perspective because this just this just happens to be where the information led. And if the right happens to agree with me, then that is what it is. You know, just like when, um, when Bush was in office, I happen to agree with the left a lot of the times in regards to Bush being a war criminal and, and, and all his, uh, you know, foreign policies. So it's like, I try to follow the truth and try to follow the inf- information wherever that leads me. And if it happens that the right is on the right side of history at the moment, then that's okay with me. And just like at the time when Bush was, you know, quite obvious, a, a awful person in regards to his, uh, his foreign policy and many other things, um, then I'm okay with, be like, okay, the left just happened to be on, you know, my side at the moment. But, uh, you know, the, the truth is most people will just defend their team regardless. You know, I, I had a conversation with somebody recently who was like, yeah, yeah, you know, there were, we agreed with the, with just about everything in regards to the coronavirus. And then I'm like, and I brought this exact point up that I'm like, you know, but yeah, Fox News seems to be 
doing a little better journalism than the other ones because it just happens that their party is closer to, uh, you know, the truth or closer to, I guess, the right perspective than the other party. But I'm like, if the roles were reversed, you know, it, it would be a different story. And they're like, well, I don't know. Cause when Bush was in office, he had some, some, um, some justifications to go to Iraq and this and that and chemical weapons. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're talking about chemical weapons. You know, I'm like, I, it just, it, some people just want to believe that they're open-minded to all perspectives and that they're, their opinions are based on evidence, but the truth is we're emotional creatures. And in many cases, if not all cases, we're very, very highly influenced by other things we're not even aware of from, you know, emotional reasons to subconscious reasons. Like, you know, maybe there was a conservative that really pissed you off growing up or you didn't like growing up. So now you lean more liberal or your parents were liberal or your parents were conservative. So whatever it may be. uh, And isn't that funny in the U S we only have two parties. That's how simple minded we are. We're like, you know, all our beliefs in all these complex issues fit in two easy boxes, easy to digest boxes where it's just like, it's either you're, you know, a Democrat, or you're a Republican, that's it. And people there are thinking our perspectives should not be that simple. Should not, we should have much more complex opinions and philosophies on ourselves in the world. And we shouldn't agree with any party a hundred percent of the time. Anybody who does, they should really reevaluate you know, where they stand and if they're truly looking at all the evidence and truly have an open mind, you know, on everything, because the truth is if you agree with any party all the time, then chances are you're just agreeing with the party. You're not really looking at uh, what the hell was the question. Anyways, I've already lost my train of thought. (laughs) I've no idea. I think we just said hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, your guess, but you know, it doesn't matter. It's free flowing. Yeah. No, I, I was think... just going to ask. Um, so you've done a couple hundred episodes, have you? Um, now just over. Is that right? Two sixty something. Is it two sixty? Was it? Was it? Yeah. Um, I was just wondering, um, why did you start doing a podcast in the first place? Well, uh, I was going to say the, the short answer, but I don't know if I am, I'm capable of giving you a short answer. That's <laughs> fine. We, whichever. we got the hello out of the way now. But uh, it was honestly because of the title of the podcast. It was the ripple effect. I truly, I've always had this, uh, this, I've always loved conversation and the power of conversation. I truly believe that something as simple as sharing ideas and challenging ideas can really lead to something bigger. And, uh, and then I, I had this song because I'm music, uh, a musician at first and um, this song called The Ripple Effect. And I love the name of it. I love the title. I, it's more about like I love the concept of it, this idea that we can all create a change. We can all create a ripple. We never know how big of an impact we can make. And, you know, some of the examples I use is look at somebody like, Churchill or look at like Martin Luther King or whoever, somebody who you think is a historical figure that you might like or dislike or whatever, but they're a historical figure that had some type of impact on the world, positive or negative. It doesn't matter. But the point remains the same. Those people were influenced by lesser known people. They were influenced by maybe a grandfather, a uncle, a, a friend of a friend, um, some conversation they had at the pub, you know, just with the, with the, somebody they barely knew. And you never know what type of impact you're going to have when you're having these conversations, when you're, when you're sharing uh, ideas and whatnot. And I think that the power of that is sometimes understated. And 
something as simple as having a conversation with somebody, that conversation can change the perspective on something forever. You know, uh, for example, look at us when we're growing up, right? We have certain conversations in our lives with certain people that for some reason stuck with us forever. Like there's certain things that like, I don't, if you say like, Hey, do you recall anything when you were a toddler? I'd be like, not really, you know? And, um, and, but yet somebody will bring something up where I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that conversation with my, my uncle or I remember that conversation with that teacher. Or I remember, you know, and it stuck with me forever. And that teacher or that uncle or whoever it may be doesn't, you know, maybe never would have thought that that conversation would have influenced me. And I would eventually have a podcast, which means that that conversation, which influenced my perspective and opinions or whatnot, is now affecting other people's opinions and perspectives because um, I'm sharing my, my opinions and perspectives. So it's, it's just one of those things where I truly, truly believe in the power of, of conversation. And it's, it's something that I, I bring up and I talk about a lot because so many people are like, well, what the fuck can I do? What can I do? I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And I'm like, just talking to people, just sharing ideas, just challenging ideas. You're doing something because that person is going to share, you know, if you change your perspective, you slightly plant a seed of doubt about something, then they're going to have a conversation with somebody else. They're going to have a conversation with somebody else and it continues and you could have some effect. And even if personally you don't directly have a huge impact, you might have an impact on somebody who does. Um, so it's just, to, to me, it's uh, it's really about this. Idea. And the, the, the podcast itself has become a example of it because I started in this basement and I started with just a friend of mine, just bullshitting. And I was trying, you know, he, he's a little older than me and he wasn't really in a podcast. So he's like, what the fuck's a podcast? And why the hell is anybody going to want to hear us talk? And I'm like, I, you know, I'm trying to tell him like the same way. And, and at the at the time, I, my co-host was uh, my buddy, Dave. And I'm like, Dave, the same way that we enjoy our conversations where we just challenge each other's ideas and we share personal philosophies and opinions, I'm like, other people will too. I'm like, it's hard to believe, but other people will too. And um, so that that's all I kind of, you know, it took to sell them on it. I'm like, we're, we're just having the same conversation we would have at the pub. The only difference is we're recording it and we're sharing it. And I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see. And uh, and then I was lucky enough to have really, you know, just super awesome people early, like James Corbett, Doug, Douglas Ruskoff, Daniele Bignelli, Jason Burmis. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Like Dan Carlin. Oh, oh Dan, yeah, Dan Carlin, Lee Camp, uh, Dr. Brzezinski, like a, a people that were really generous. And Dan Carlin was one of those people that he doesn't do as many interviews now, but at the time when he did my show, uh, he didn't do my show because uh, I don't, well, I don't know why he did my show. I don't know why anybody ever does my show, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, he did my show because he was doing a lot of people's shows and he was doing a lot of people's shows promote doing similar to what Joe Rogan was doing telling people like trying to inspire people to do podcasts. He's like, do a podcast. You'll be amazed by the people who are willing to come on. And, um, he's, and, and it, I, I was, and it was true, you know, I, and I remember, I think I told him when I talked to him, uh, that, you know, he was an inspiration because I wanted to believe that he was right. I'm like, if I start a podcast, maybe I will have people on maybe, you know, and, and you do get initially a little obsessed with analytics and how many downloads and, and whatnot. But, I, I would, anytime I get caught up in that stuff, I would steer away and I'd be like, listen, if I just have interesting conversations with interesting people and just put that out there. Consistently. Yeah. 
Yeah. Then I'm like, the rest will, will, will happen. And, and just like musicians and, and artists and anybody else who, who uses creativity or imagination or, uh, is some type of content creator, if it's good and you're passionate and you're sincere, eventually people will like it. And I think people will, will see that. And, um, and, and all the great thinkers, the greatest thinkers in the world and, and creators and whatnot, they're in, they're motivated by their work. They're not motivated by financial gain or monetary gain or whatnot. They're, uh, you know, the, the hair bands, for example, in the eighties, we're talking about music before we started recording. I mean, the ones that lasted the bands from the seventies and eighties that we're still talking about today, like Maiden and Metallica, they were the ones who were doing music for the right reasons. You know, they were doing it because they were passionate about it. Um, the ones like Motley Crue or whatever, or, or some of the, you know, even worse bands, they, sorry to offend anybody who likes Motley Crue, but uh, they, uh, th- those bands were just, a lot of them immediately said, we're just trying to get laid. We're just trying to party. Well, guess what? I don't know any of their names. Why? Because they probably sucked, you know? So um, I couldn't even give you any examples, you know, but it, it's the, the ones, you know, Nikolai Tesla, for example, people who are familiar with his story, he was truly motivated to try to change the world for the better, to create free electricity for people, mm-hmm. um, to take, you know, the electricity that's in the air, use the earth as a conductor and give people free elect- uh, electricity. And the reason why he, you know, one of the reasons he, he didn't succeed to the extent that he should have was because he didn't have uh, finances as a motivator. So people who were funding him are like, wait, how can I make money doing this? Well, yeah. screw you, you know, and uh, let's uh, go over there and help Edison. So that was a, uh, but, we still talk about him today and he's still one of the greatest inventors of all time and thinkers of all time. And, um, so I think that's the case, you know, that's, uh, that we should be, if, if you're really motivated for, for the right reasons, you know, in my case, I just wanted to, literally it was that simple. I wanted to do something. I felt unfulfilled. I was working, um, which I still am working a construction job where, you know, I'm, getting my hands or, and there's some, there's something nice about doing physical work. You know, there, there is uh, we have a small uh, construction company, uh, family business. So I, I kind of get a little bit of both. I get to be in the office um, uh, from time to time. And, and sometimes if I'm catching up on work, I'm, I'm in the office, you know, a couple of days in a row or most of the week. And then I get to go out in the field and get my hands dirty, which I actually enjoy. And it's less stressful um, because even though it's physically demanding, I feel like we're, we're, we've evolved to, to kind of deal with physical stress very well, but we haven't evolved to deal with the mental stress very well. And, um, you know, you see during the lockdown, people who are just dealing with anxiety and depression because they just didn't know what was going on, the uncertainty of the future. Um, I think the mental stress is just something that, uh, especially in, in the world we live in today, it just, it's overwhelming. You have debt, you know, credit card debt, you have uh, debt for the house you live in, maybe the car that you got a loan on. You have um, all these priorities, all these responsibilities. Some probably work for a corporation or, or some someone who who's trying to squeeze every ounce of time and energy out of you to, to make maximum profit. So you have that pressure on you. And, uh, and sometimes just doing a mindless physical job feels good. You know, it kind of, you get to kind of, hit, um, you know, or unplug and, and, and really forget about that stuff for a while, which is also why I think hobbies are important, which I'm going way off track from your question initially again, but <laughs> well, I remember it. It's all right. This, this is why I started podcast because I never know when to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I think it's with the lockdown is, you know, you're right in that people have suffered a lot of mental stress and anxiety, but that's also been coupled with things like the gyms being shut and people being told to stay indoors and not getting out in the fresh mm-hmm. air and doing exercise. And we need it. 
we're, we're designed to go out and hunt things every day, aren't we? You know, you got to uh, break a sweat every now and now and then. And I think our sedentary lifestyle that we've developed, you know, since sort of the nineteen fifties gradually, is a major detriment to us. We're not we're not wired for it. Well, they say settings is the new smoking. You know, it, it's one of those things where it. it it's so harmful. I mean, I see it like, for example, today I was in the office um, just about all the whole day and, uh, and you feel like a zombie after you can't snap out of it. You know, you can't where when I'm out in the field and I'm in getting fresh air, I'm in sunlight. I'm also around other people, which I think is a, a kind of an understated uh, part of it is, you know, if you're working construction, you're with a crew, you know, and, uh, and, you have a couple guys, you're bullshitting while the day goes by, you're telling jokes, you're talking about what you did on the weekend or, you know, or, or what's coming up for the following weekend. And it makes the day go by. So even though it's physically stressful, um, it's not that bad compared to, you know, the stress of staring at a computer screen, dealing with, you know, um, just getting things done on time and people upset and, and all these, uh, all these other stresses. I mean, I was born in Portugal. I was born in Northern Portugal. So I'm not too far from you guys. And, um, I was born in Shavs and my dad was, uh, my parents were raised on a farm in Northern Portugal. It's where, you know, I, I was living before I came to America. And, uh, I remember him coming to America uh, or when I was a kid and when he came to America, I'm talking about like coming home stressed and being like, Oh, I wish I was back in Portugal. I'm like, dad, what the fuck are you talking about? You didn't have running water. I'm like, you know, the most attractive woman was like, you had two women and like a goat to pick from, you know, so you like, <laughs> have many attractive women. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And then as I get older, I, I started figuring it out. Like I, I kind of got what he meant. Like he came into America and he was kind of sold this, like just kind of a, the American a, a, dream. Yeah, the American dream. I mean, it, it's 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 he was misled. I think it was Dan Carlin who said uh, it's called American dream because you can only believe it if you're sleeping or something <laughs> along those lines. Or, but it, it's it's true, right? You come here and it's all about because the majority of of foreigners who come to America, they're very proud of their culture, right? You get Mexicans, you get Guatemalans, you get it doesn't matter what part of the world you come from when you come to America. If you're a French, Italian. English, whatever, whatever it may be, you're, you're very proud of your culture. So you, you don't come here for American culture because there's a lack of culture in America. You know, I mean, what's our hamburgers and hot dogs and baseball? I mean, all three of those things suck, you know? So it's, um, the thing is like you come here because you're trying to get financially ahead, but I feel like you get so caught up with that goal that you lose everything else that made you happy prior to that. You don't realize that like, holy shit, even though I didn't have the big house, the newer car, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't even have a car, but I was happy. I had community. I had friendship. I had, you know, I had, uh, a, you know, maybe a job that was more fulfilling because I actually felt needed. You know, where like they talk about how jobs now. You know, I, I forget which uh, big corporation or uh, during the industrial revolution figured out like instead of teaching one person all the traits you, tr you teach them one thing, right? So instead of, uh, you know, you actually putting a whole car together, you have one guy only do this one little, uh, you know, step of the job all day, every day. So you feel useless. You feel like you don't, you're not a part of the process. You don't feel like you're easily replaced. Cause that was a big part of it too. Is like, if you only have them do one thing, 
vendor easily replace. Yeah. So you, most people are working jobs that are unfulfilling. You know, a lot of people are in cubicles where they have to sound very professional and they're worried about offending people. And, uh, you know, they can't talk about Megan's nice ass. You know, I'm just kidding about that. But, um, uh, the thing is, but it, there is something about like the restrictions on like maybe just being yourself, you know, you feel like you're, you have to be this professional sounding person where, you know, and everybody's very touchy, um, you know, all of a sudden where you can't even make a joke cause you could possibly even offend somebody, even if you don't mean to offend somebody. So it's, a. Uh, it just, we live, so, you know, are you guys familiar with Christopher Ryan, Dr. Christopher Ryan? I am, yeah, uh, Sex at Dawn. Yeah, Sex at Dawn, and yeah. he has a newer book called Civilized to Death, right. and he says this, you know, he talks about how, you know, when I had him on my show, I believe, um, I believe it was, it was when he was still writing Civilized to Death, so we talked about it, and I, I, I had him on, and I was so glad to talk about Civilized to Death, because even though I love Sex at Dawn, great book, Civilized to death to me is, is so much more important um, because what he talks about in that book and what he, he says, that, you know, you hear him say this, if the winners, like, so if you say the game of life, you know, the way we've kind of designed it, like the game of life is about like financially getting ahead, getting the highest paying job, the newest material things, the newest house, the newest car, um, you know, whatever it is, drive around in a, in a Range Rover and, uh, and, you know, don't stop at crosswalks and flick people off or whatever. <laughs> just you get to be that, that, that cunt, right. That just that asshole who just, uh, you know, is rich, you know, <laughs> And and uh, I love the way you guys use cunt, by the way. That's what I want. I finally get to use it without people getting offended. <laughs> but um, but so I he if the winners right are the same ones that are you know overprescribed, they're the ones who are you know in England right in the UK they had uh, what was it was it bankers that were committing suicide at like so it was like a month where there was like a suicide every other day I I feel like I was reading and uh, so if all these guys who are winning the game you know the winning the game of life in regards to like being financially you know ahead of everybody and winning that game if they're unhappy if they're going through divorces if they're self-medicating with pills and drugs and alcohol and I, and not to say that alcohol is always bad because it's it's not. And uh, I, I'm a, I'm a whiskey drinker. I'm this, a wine this drinker. This is pretty bad. What I'm drinking, but go on. <laughs> what go are you on. drinking? Actually, it's my it's the produce of my brother's plums. It's plum it's plum <laughs> vodka that it's he made. Plum, oh, plum vodka. Yeah, he squeezed his own plums. I think he squeezed his own plums into it. It's a bit <laughs> off. So sometimes it's bad. But go on, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> but but so the point is like if you, if those people are are losing because they're not they're not happy and they are self-medicating and they are you know they have broken families in regards to their kids hate them because they're never around because they're so worried about their careers and all this stuff then even if the winners look like losers then what the fuck are we doing like maybe we have to rethink this whole game maybe we have to rethink and i think this is where it goes into these deeper questions like, you know, not to get all spiritual and hippie, but you know, what, what is this all about? What is life all about? What is our purpose? And I think we've been, we've been force fed this idea from for, you know, the gain of corporations, maybe for the gain of politicians. I mean, they, you look at the history of like women working or whatever. A lot of people believe it was influenced by government because it's like, Hey, that's 50% of the, the, the population that we can't tax. And, uh, yeah. you know, and not we can't economically active. 
what's that? Not economically active, they would say. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, and 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 so this whole game of like, okay, you 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 convince women that hey, you know, there's some, you should go to work. You know, you why do you, should you stay home and watch the kids and and be doing the most important job? that you could possibly be doing, which is raising a human being. Um, it's almost like it's looked down upon, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, Oh, oh I, you know, I'm more than just a mother. It's like, fuck man. Like being a mother alone is a big deal. You don't have to be more. That is the most important job ever in Europe. They give, you know, at least in Portugal, I know they give uh, the father and the mother time off after you have a kid. Um, because they understand the importance of it in America. It's like, you know, you give birth and it's like, Hey, I'm going back to work tomorrow. You know, it's like, I'm like, why? Like what? Like, don't you think it? Cause if you're not raising that kid, you know, who is it's the media, it's a TV, it's social media, which is all, all the things I just mentioned is, is manipulating you and controlling you and psychologically, um, all analyzing everything you do and they've analyzed how to uh, change and manipulate the, you know, look at Adam Curtis's movies, uh, you know, um, uh, from the UK, uh, you guys being from the UK, I'm sure you probably watched uh, century of self and, you know, the, all the other ones, you know, about propaganda and how, a lot of times you don't even know what's influencing your, your decision-making, you know, what's influencing your desires and all this stuff. There's a great documentary called the corporation, which is another uh, great gem of a movie from Canada. And it goes into the whole history. I think it took like 10 years or five years, some long period of time for them to put together. But at the time it was the highest uh, ranking or highest, uh, I guess, I don't, I don't know if it was viewed a uh, documentary in Canadian history, but it was all about, how corporations, the science, the psychology, all the money and resources that go into understanding how the fuck to get you to buy their shit. And so when people say you're being brainwashed, you are like there, you know, Doritos has, you know, um, scientists and psychologists and they're trying to understand when you take a bite of that food, what's the right fake artificial, you know, the artificial flavors and textures and all this artificial stuff, all this fake stuff that makes you feel like you're eating food, but you're not to trick your brain into wanting more, you know? Um, and it's all, so it's all manipulation, you know, it's all trying to trick you. And it's, so it's not just politics. I mean, there's another great documentary from, a. Uh, a guy who who's become a friend throughout the years, uh, Richard Grove from tragedy and hope. And uh, there's a documentary called state of mind is psychology of control. And they go through the history of control and how the elite has always tried to control the population and all the different ways they've done it. I mean, even Zeingeist, I know the, the religious part of the first one gets a lot of shit for like, you know, cause if you're religious, you get mad that he's trying to debunk religion, yep. but they're missing the point. The point is that, He's trying to make the point that it's just one of many methods that those in power use to control the populations and the masses. And that's what it was about. I don't think he was attempting to be, you know, giving a F you to the religious people. It, it, a lot, I think a lot of religious people got upset, but it, it, that's the point he was making. And even if you believe the origins of religion were wrong in that uh, documentary. Um, and that's okay. You can't deny the fact that people like these mega churches in the U S where these guys fly in, fly in on a private jet and say, if you send me, you know, a thousand dollars right now, God's going to give you the same back in, you know, 
tenfold, you know, ten, you're going to make $10,000. You know, it's like, what the fuck? You know, these guys are multimillionaires and they're milking the shit out of the average person who is just dumb enough to believe it or <laughs> desperate enough to believe it in some cases, because who joins cults, right? Who joins uh, cults? The same people who fall for these tricks by the churches, you know, by many churches, by these preachers. It's people who are just looking for answers. You look at, um, you look at like people who, who grow up in poverty, you see a lot of crosses tattooed on them. You see a lot of them hold, you know, or wear crosses. Why? Because when you have no other hope, the only place you can look for hope sometimes is the, you know, a, a greater, you know, realm, a greater, uh, a greater power looking down on you. And if that might give you a little bit of motivation to fight through the next shitty day. And um, so you're, you're absolutely taking advantage of people. It's ironic, so, yeah. ironic that they call them lost sheep, isn't it? <laughs> A little lost yeah, sheep. Yeah. It's yeah. Wild. I think I came to the realisation when I was about 30 that the most precious commodity we have is our time. And uh, you don't want to be one of those guys that gets to 45, you've worked 70 hours a week, and yeah, you've got the Mercedes or the BMW and the big house, whatever. And then you come to the realization that your children have grown up, and you missed it. And what? And you know, you can't put a price on that shit. You got to be there, and you've got to be present, and make the most of it. Because you could get hit by a bus tomorrow, Ricky. Mm-hmm. It's so true. So I just did a podcast. I was interviewed on a podcast. I, I forgot what what it was called, but uh, it, they they do um, interviews with with guests, and they talk about certain movies or big film buffs and they wanted to have me on because they're a fan of the podcast but they didn't know what film to have me on because i'm not like i like watching films but i'm not one of those people that will tell you the director and actor and and all that stuff but uh there's a film that i've brought up a few times on my show that they're like oh come on and talk about that because you seem to be intrigued with at least the concept of it and um and it was called in time so i'll bring it up now because the idea of have you guys watched that movie it, yeah, it's not it's, yeah. yeah, it wasn't that it was that great of a movie, but the concept, I think, was uh, intriguing in regards to, like, time being the currency. And um, so you, you live till, like, you're 25, and then after 25, you can live forever as long as you have enough currency slash time, or, you you know, you run out of it. But once you hit 25, your clock starts ticking backwards on your wrist. And I remember watching the movie, and I'm just like, how different would people live their lives if you could see like if you, if we say the average age is whatever 80 and and from so the second you're born till the second you die you know you have that t- time running backwards on your wrist you know letting you know when you're going to turn 80 you're dying right and um but if you could see that clock every single day like how many of us maybe wouldn't spend as much time cutting the grass and making our lawn look good you know for no reason maybe and I'm only saying that because I'm notorious of doing that and um yeah. You know, it, and, and it sucks because my neighbor has a great lawn, so he always makes me look bad. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm like, I want to do a podcast. I don't want to cut the grass. Fuck the grass. But, uh, uh, but the thing is, like, you know, how many of us would, uh, you know, would live our lives differently? Like, the thing is, the truth is, we, we all say, like, we, like you said, uh, Phil, like that we know we could hit, get hit by a truck tomorrow. But when every day we wake up, and we do the same routine and we do the same thing. Then the next day we wake up, we do the same routine. We forget that that's a possibility. We, we take every day for granted because 
it's like, well, I've been waking up every day for fucking 35 years. Like, why am I going to assume tomorrow? You know, we think all the bad shit happens to somebody else. Like, yeah, yeah, bad shit happens, but not to me, <laughs> like to, to that really unlucky family that, you know, loses people, you know, randomly and, and, and whatnot. So I think if we could see that time ticking backwards, that weekend that you worked to make a couple extra hundred bucks just to find out you spent it on some stupid shit that you don't even end up liking anymore, uh, that you probably would rather have that weekend back. So you, and, and you maybe should have went to the pub with your friends Friday night and said, fuck waking up early, to go to work Saturday. Maybe you should have, you know, um, you know, spend more time with your friends and family. You know, I remember talking to, um, you know, I don't remember who it was, but I just re- again, this is an example of what we we're talking about. How certain things stick with you. Uh, I don't, and I've had so many conversations with so many people. I can't recall who the hell said this, but I remember a mother or, or a grandmother. She was older. I remember her being older, and um, and her saying, "You know what? Like, and it was weird the way she stated. She's like, you know what? I wish I spend less time cleaning the house and more time with my kids.' And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I never even think about that. Somebody who's like super, you know, just obsessed with cleaning you know you think it's a great thing but if you're doing that all the fucking time when you could be actually spending some time talking to your kids playing with your kids going for a walk going to the park with your kids and it's because you're stressing out about the house being dirty all the time like yeah that could be considered a waste of fucking time too you know so there's so many like you said time is without a doubt the most valuable thing but we don't we sometimes we need to go to a funeral we need to go to a wake to remind us of that, to, to remind us that life isn't forever and that we are going to die one day. And I think that's something good that comes out of wakes and funerals is that it is that once in a while that, that, uh, that random reminder that fuck man, like that could be me. You know, I have a, a cousin who died during the lockdown. Um, unfortunately couldn't have a, uh, a normal wake or funeral because of all the bullshit, but he, uh, you know, he died at, I think it was in his early fifties. Yeah. He was in his early fifties and it's like, you know, he, he wasn't the healthiest of guys, but nobody thought he was going to just have a heart issue out of nowhere and, and die. And, uh, and so it's like their story and story of, uh, like that, of people who just, and it's like, why can't that be me? Why can't I, you know, I don't, I don't ever go to the fucking doctors, you know? So I could have some, some issue that I'm not aware of getting worse every day. You know, we don't know. And, um, and my point is like, we have to keep reminding ourselves we don't know. So if we don't know, then what truly makes you happy? It's experiences. It's, it's being social. It's being, you know, we're at our happiest when we're around people. I mean, I think we all require some alone time because I think that's when you do some self-reflecting, you can kind of, you know, kind of hit reset, analyze your thoughts or whatnot. But I also think it's important to bounce those ideas afterwards off other people and see, because if you're by yourself all the time, you can convince yourself of anything. I mean, I can, I can just look at, you know, if I'm by myself long enough, I can convince myself that, you know, buying a Ferrari I can't afford is a great idea, you know, and, and it's going to get me all this pussy, you know? And then, you know, I say that to a a friend of mine and he'll be like, dude, one, you're married. (laughs) (laughs) Two, that's a horrendous idea. You're going to be in debt, you know? And um, so it's like, it just, I, I think it, it both are important to balance and during the lockdown to, to, to scare people and not just scare people, get people to rat each other out. You know, look at Ferguson, that fucking piece of shit from the UK who, who ends up, you know, sparking the lockdown influencing the lockdown with his ridiculous predictions. And then this fucker gets caught 
going to <laughs> mistress's house during the lockdown? Are you and this is the dude that we have to take seriously? And look mm. at Bill Gates. He's not even a, like he can't, you know, I forget who I can't take credit for this, but somebody Dr. Bill. Yeah, Doctor Bill. Doctor Bill. <laughs> William Bill. <laughs> and uh he uh yeah, because in the UK if you were called you would be called William, right? If you're at the hierarchy, you wouldn't be using Bill, you'd be no. Will, right? Okay. And, um so William Gates, senior or whatever the hell he's called, but he he would be, you know, what the fuck was I saying? <laughs> I thought I was trying to stall while he figured out what the hell my point was. But uh, I'm sure I, I was making a very valid point. So just imagine a very valid point. And that's what I was. <laughs> basically, basically, you were just saying that Bill Gates and uh, Neil Ferguson are both... <laughs> I think that was. I think that was the gist. Oh, that was my point. That he's not even a doctor. He's another <laughs> guy. He's not a doctor, and he's going around. And and somebody will, will said like, "Oh, he couldn't keep viruses out of your computer. You think he's going to keep viruses out of humans?" <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like that's actually a pretty accurate. Yeah. But this dude is like, you know, his his family is linked to you know the eugenics movement. This guy has power and influence over everything. I mean, from the BBC to the WHO. I mean, there's literally, he is our version of the Rockefellers. Like the way that like, if you're a conspiracy theorist and you go down rabbit holes, it's hard for you not to find some type of Rockefeller link. Like that's Bill Gates today. Like, I don't know if you guys saw James Corbett's documentary on Bill Gates, but, Oh, it's phenomenal. You got to see it. Like even when we talked about this, when he was on my show, when we, uh, when we talked about uh, his documentary, he, I'm like, uh, James, were you surprised by like how much influence he had? Because I'm like, it, I've been in this movement or in this world for a long time and I had no idea just how far those tentacles were, uh, went. And he's like, and he was also surprised. He's like, yeah, I knew, you know, I, James Corbett has been talking about Bill Gates for a long time and a lot of us ha- has, but to that extent, like it, it's just so obvious now you see, you, you know, you start connecting, you actually spend some time connecting the dots and he has his hand everywhere. He has his hand influencing everything. And, um, you know, everything from event 201. I mean, he was, he had tons of influence on event 201, you know, which is hilarious that people now are like, we couldn't prepare for this. We had no idea. It's like you had a event that literally was the exact same thing that happened. You talked about riots. You talked about conspiracy theories. You talked about, you know, uh, the, the public being afraid of the vaccine. Literally, it's the exact same thing. And then it happens and you're like, oh, we could have never prepared for this. We would have, you know, it's like it's the same bullshit they sold us after September 11th. They were telling the public we could have never prepared for this. But yet Bush had documents on his desk saying that Al Qaeda was uh, going to attempt to fly planes into the Twin Towers. And it's like, what do you mean you couldn't, you, nobody could have ever foreseen this. It's just, it's ridiculous, you know? And I, I hope that when Ben Swan was on my show recently, he said this and, and uh, I agree with him a hundred percent. Cause we we're talking about how, if some good could have came out of this lockdown and the good that came out was what Ben Swan said that he thinks they overplayed their hand. And I completely agree with him. I think that so many people who would have never guessed the science behind vaccines, so many people who would never spend any time researching the history of Bill Gates and what influences he has all over the world. I mean, his depopulation argument is fucking ridiculous. Like he talks about how he wants to get everybody a vaccine because if people are healthy, they have less kids. 
Yeah, I think you heard that. Kids, then you're going to have more kids because you think they're going to get sick. Like it's like so silly. And he tries to explain this. He's like, "This is why I want to lower the population because I'm a good person." And I'm like, "I'm like, who believes this guy? I mean, this guy is." And his father just passed away recently too. I it was yeah, I just like I don't know if it was today, yesterday, it's today. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in the news. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if I was just late to, to picking up on that or if it did uh, happen today. Uh, you know, my, my feed's been that and, uh, and then also bail going to Tottenham. <laughs> I'm a Tottenham fan. Sorry guys. But, uh, <laughs> well, is that a conversation for different day? <laughs> yeah, well, we might as well finish now. So. Yeah. On that note. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are you, like? Who, are you guys football fans? Oh, Phil, Phil's a lapsed football fan. Yeah, um, he's seen the he's seen the light and gone on the the journey or whatever he calls it. The journey, oh, the quest, <laughs> the quest, I, the quest. Sorry, that's it, isn't it? You know what's funny? I got out of sports for a long time too, man. I, I for a long time, I'm like this shit feels too pointless. I, I there's just so many other things I could be spending my time doing, watching a documentary, reading a book, or whatever. But um, once I had kids, you know, it kind of it gave us something to watch together that I didn't hate and they didn't hate and we could kind of, you know, celebrate together. And I, I think there also is a need to hit, you know, reset from time to time and unplug like we were talking about previously. Like, I think that you can get like James Corbett says this and, and I have the same experience where his wife like literally could care less about his research and his website and all the things he knows. Like, and it's a good thing because like when he, if she was also, in this stuff, like he might never be able to get away from it. You'd be at the dinner table. You'd be talking about it. You'd be arguing about it. If you have different perspectives, but there's nothing to argue about because my wife doesn't know anything. Uh, you know, I mean, th- I think the last conspiracy theory I got her into was probably nine uh, 11. And it was because it was such a huge deal. And, and you have all the, you know, the raw footage and, and, and you were alive, but I mean, I can't get her to talk about like anything else, you know, she just, the COVID thing got her interest, but she's, she just wants to like, ask me a question like, Hey, if somebody said this, is this true? You know, and that'll be it. But, um, but I think, you know, being able to unplug with sports, there is a need for it. I also think a good thing. Okay. So here's a good thing that's come out of sports that Bundesliga has the balls to one start up when nobody else did, which I give them a lot of credit because everybody's like, Oh my God, what the fuck's going to happen when the, all these guys are going to get together? Oh my God, nothing happened. And then now when they start the league again, they're going to have fans and guess what? Nothing's going to happen. Just like nothing's going to happen. So Napoli and sporting uh, Lisbon, which is my, my Portugal team, they were supposed to play a friendly recently and like a bunch of people tested positive. Right. And they canceled the preseason game. Now, why is this relevant? This is relevant because this is how ridiculous this shit has gotten. Nobody's going to die. Like, they just tested positive. A bunch of people tested positive. Nobody's even discussing or chatting or even hinting that anybody's at risk of being hospitalized or dying or anything. They're just like, a bunch of people said positive. So we we have to cancel this game. But once they're all, you know, in the negative or once they quarantine or whatever, then we'll be fine again. But it's like, okay, so if we're all freaking out about just people testing positive for something that in many cases, I'm sure these people didn't even know they had the virus um, and probably have mild to no symptoms and they all recover and it's fine. Then what the fuck are we freaking out about in the first place? Like this whole thing is ridiculous. Like it just it's. So, uh, are you guys doing the mask thing? Are you guys man- mandating masks everywhere or any of that bullshit? Indoors. Yeah, we, 
we have to, yeah. Indoors so and shops and stores and stuff, yeah. Yeah, here it's more or less the same thing. They they uh, they recommend you wear them um, in all, in the little local. You can find like some mom and pop places uh, from time to time that are just like we don't give a fuck. They're they're just like hardcore Trump supporters and they don't care, which I love. And um <laughs> and I no like I said I got I got uh, mask exemptions for my kids because I I they were, they just started soccer again and it's like in a way I'm like Dude, I got to figure something out because. I don't want them to sit around and do nothing because now they're also homeschooled. Like I took them out of school because they had to wear masks in school and all, you know, all this fucking sanitizing your hands every two seconds. And, and the schools look like prisons because the kids can't touch each other and have to be separated. And I'm, I'm like, this isn't going to be fun. Like, yeah, my son and some kids probably have some desire to go back to school, but they have some desire to go back to school the way it was, not the way it is. Mm. They're, what the way they're imagining going back to school is them going back to school and hugging their friends and playing, you know, at recess, whatever, not this bullshit where, you know, I don't, I don't think they'll even have recess. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, send each kid to the, to the uh, playground, you know, one at a time, you know, it's like, Hey, go play for with yourself for a little bit. And once you're done, we'll, we'll send another kid. It's like, it's so silly. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, this is the thing about this issue. Why this topic, even though, I'm sure many people have coronavirus fatigue. They're sick of fucking talking about it. They're sick of hearing about it. But the reason why it's such an important issue is because when, you know, when I started my podcast and I was talking a lot about um, geopolitics and, and wars, because, you know, at that time, the hot topics were, you know, Iraq, it was Syria, it was Iran, it was, and, and these are still, you know, hot topics more or less, but it's hard to get people on board with it, right? Because they get to go to work, they get to go to the park, they get to go to the mall, they get to go to the restaurants and eat and whatever, and it doesn't affect their lives. So if we're in a hundred wars or we're in no wars, most of us, our lives don't change. But this has reached into our personal lives. This has reached into the lives of our children, the lives of our loved ones. We have been forced to not, we couldn't even, you were shamed if you even had a gathering. Like we're social creatures. Like when you go to prison, they punish you by putting you by yourself and they're taking you away. Like from who? From other fucking criminals that are liars and cheaters and stealers and rapers and whatever. Like, so it's not like you're around fun people. It's not like, oh, I want to play with those guys because they're, 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 they're great dudes, you know, and now I miss them. You know, no, it's like just being around shitheads is better than being around nobody. And if you're around nobody long enough, you go fucking crazy. And that's what ends up happening. And so you literally talked everybody or scared everybody into doing that and putting themselves in isolation and not just that ratting people out ratting people even though there's fucking endless evidence the 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 literally literally on the have you seen the uh the masks um the box for the masks it says on the the box will not prevent the spread of coronaviruses like it said that why for liability reasons because they know it's probably not going to spread, uh, help uh, stop the spread of it. So let me just save my ass. So that's what they're doing. You know, same thing with the CDC, the testing. You go on the CDC website, it will say on the website in regards to testing, COVID-19 testing, that when you test positive, and this is outside of the fact that all these tests give false positives. They all give false positives. Some of them are so sensitive that they say that the reason why, you know, we're calling everybody asymptomatic or people are testing positive and don't even know it is because it's so that they're so good. They're so sensitive that they're finding 
such a little weak coronavirus that it has zero effect on you. That's like, you know, similar to somebody testing positive for a steroid because some supplement was made in a lab that had some illegal, you know, and that's, and that has actually happened. Well, it's similar thing is happening with the coronavirus where you're Mm -hmm. testing positive and you have no symptoms and you're completely fine because of the fact that they're so sensitive, but on the CDC website. So even if you believe the tests are accurate, you believe they work and all this nonsense, then the CDC website on the website says, if you test positive for the coronavirus, there's no way of them knowing if it's just one of the many coronaviruses in the coronavirus family that's been around forever, you know, and is on lice, the Lysol can that it kills coronaviruses, or if it's the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 specifically. So you could be testing just for one of the many coronaviruses in the coronavirus family, which means what? Just more evidence that none of this stuff could be justified. And the long-term effects from alcoholism, from, you know, AA meetings, you know, how many people need to go to those AA meetings and, and those were shut down. How many people need that community of the churches? You know, how many people need, you know, just need to be around other people because they're just people who don't do well when they're by themselves. Like domestics went up, child abuse went up, suicide. I mean, there was, there was one point where California had more suicide deaths than they had COVID deaths. I'm like, what the fuck is that telling you? Like that's telling you that the, the treatment for the virus, which is uh, I'm referring to the lockdown is worse, way worse than the lockdown itself. I mean, than the virus itself. And we don't even know what long-term effects it's going to have. I mean, small businesses are the ones that are getting fucked because the small businesses are the ones who, who can't deal with only 20% capacity. I mean, restaurant businesses, businesses are some of the hardest um, business industry to be in. Like most of them fail. They're, they're, most of them are, are struggling. Now you say, hey, you can only be 20% capacity when you were barely surviving at 100% capacity. They're going to shut down. People weren't going back to work because you were getting those stimulus checks that were, uh, you know, in many cases, more than what people were making. So in America, we had a lot of issues with people just not wanting to go back to work. And there was all these, uh, these new guidelines. Because in America, if you're on unemployment and you refuse work, then your unemployment stops. You can't refuse work, you know? Um, so if you're laid off, if you're fired, you can get unemployment. Uh, but what, when this whole COVID thing happened, the, they changed that slightly. You could refuse work if you, if you, one, you had symptoms or two, you're, uh, you're near people who had symptoms or three, uh, you had kids or elderly people and you were scared of going back to work. So you gave all these justifications to uh, all these ways to not go back to work and still get that unemployment check. So I know a lot of restaurant owners that just couldn't find help. They couldn't, I mean, my wife's a, a waitress. Like she went back to work, even though she's like, I'm actually making more on unemployment, but she's like, I want, I don't want that business to go out of business because, and then when my unemployment check ends, where the fuck am I going to work? It's temporary. It's a temporary fix. And people weren't lo- looking long-term. They weren't looking at like, Hey, yeah, you can milk, this you know the system for a little bit longer but you're gonna fuck all these businesses so and then when it it is time to find work there is no work there there is no that business isn't there anymore go and queue up for your job at amazon and be happy about it yeah well that's the other thing yeah yeah Yeah, and it's fucked we've been we've been covering the covid pretty much every week haven't we since it started and we're coming to similar conclusions we've we've done bits Mm. about the pcr test and about the our, uh, a leading oncologist in our country came out last week on a podcast and said that if everything went back to normal in the health service now, 
the worst case scenario would be 50,000 excess deaths from cancer alone. That doesn't take into account everything else that you cited, plus other med- mm. medical conditions like strokes and heart attacks and what have you. So I think we're agreed. The reaction to the uh, COVID has been worse than the actual disease on it. But, you know. Yeah. And you look at the fact that there was contaminated tests that went to the UK. Uh, there, I mean, there's just literally story after story. There's fishermen who tested negative, went out to sea for 35 days, came back and were positive. I mean, what the <laughs> fuck is that? Like, what is that? I don't need. How do you mermaids? Mermaids give him. <laughs> they also came back and it burns when they pee. Those <laughs> Yeah, I mean, without 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 a doubt, like it's just to me, like there's so much evidence and there's so much reason to be skeptical, and that's the other thing. We should get that word back because why the hell are skeptics the people debunking conspiracy theories? Um, I I always thought that was unusual. I'm like, that's funny because I'm like, being skeptical what is what led me to conspiracy theories because I was skeptical of the official story. I was skeptical of this historical story, this historical event, whatever it may be. I'm skeptical of these scientists or doctors or or big pharma or the FDA or whatever it may be. So it is funny how that they use that word against us. We're like, they're the skeptical ones. I'm like, you're not skeptical ones. You're just pushing the mainstream narrative. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is wild, man. It's wild. And when I was, at the height of the lockdown, I was getting contacted by people from the UK and so many other places. And they were saying how like, Oh, I don't think, well, you know, the, the U S will, will deal with this because you guys have that kind of that spirit of fighting back. And in a way we kind of do like, there are people here that are upset and fighting back, but um, there's also a whole lot of people just going along with whatever the TV tells them. And it's a, it's a huge issue. It's people don't think for themselves. People don't, I mean, look at a pandemic documentary that was wiped off the face of the earth. Like they took down their website. They took down everything, but you know what you could find the same day debunking articles, debunking videos. Like how the fuck did you just watch this whole interview and you already researched it and wrote a whole article and published it. But like in 24 hours, how is that possible? And YouTube thought the video was so dangerous that anybody who uploaded it was immediately taken down but if I was debunking it, if I was saying that, you know, like this was bullshit or, not, you know, I could show the video. I could show the video while debunking it. So it wasn't so dangerous to watch. It was just too dangerous to watch. And you come up with your own conclusion. If somebody was helping mold what you're watching and influence what you're watching and, and what you're seeing, then that's OK. So what the fuck does that tell you? You know, the censorship is ridiculous. It's so and, and people like myself who've really been keeping their eyes close on the vaccine issue and uh, the vaccine agenda. We've seen this coming because in, in alternative medicine, they've been censored more than anybody. I mean, and you look at it like big pharma is literally like they are the military industrial complex, the same way the military industrial complex was like that thing we're really afraid of. And, and they can trick us into wars and trick us into this. And they have, all the influence over media and corporations and, and, um, or, or uh, politics, that's big pharma. Like we don't look at, we don't put big pharma on the same level of them, but they are like, there's a reason why during the pill epidemic, you know, in the U S when young people were dying every other day, there's young people dying. I mean, 
people in their 20s, people in their teens um, dying from this stuff. Not one politician talked about it. Not one politician um, was questioned about it during a debate. Why? Because during those commercials, during that debate, guess what do you see? Pfizer commercial, Merck commercial, whatever it may be. So what does that mean? That means that they're paying the bills of that person that, who's uh, asking those questions. They're paying the bills for that network. And that means that you can't fucking talk about it. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a story that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. talks about. I forget who he was really good friends with at Fox News, somebody r- really up there. And he tells the story about how like, the guy grew up with his father, I believe, or some of his relatives. So they're really close. And he, they were talking about, you know, why don't you get me on Fox News and I could talk about this. And he's like, listen, I'd love to get you on Fox News and talk about this. But the second I do, I'll get uh, uh, calls left and right to say, don't ever let him on the air again. And, and you know, you lost us all this money, you know, because, you know, now this company or that company is not going to uh, uh, work with us or whatever market with us. So it's just... It's so influential, and I really feel like it's probably one of the biggest threats to society and and civilization is big pharma because of the fact that they're giving you pills you don't need that have side effects that we ignore. I mean, look the oxychloroquine thing. Like, that became a political argument. That's not a political argument. Like, oxychloroquine was FDA approved. If you're saying that something that's FDA approved is too dangerous to give to people, then take every pill that's on the market off the market, okay? It was FDA approved. Does it have some... Can you prove that it's given some people side effects? Absolutely. But so can every fucking pill that's on the market. That's why when you see these commercials, and I don't know in the UK if you see as many of these big pharma commercials as we see here, but those, you know, they'll be marketing some pill. Oh, that's right, because it's only U.S. and New, New Zealand, Zealand, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we're the only idiots who who are willing to are letting big pharma market on on TV. But when they do, at the end of these commercials, they say may cause, and there's a list of things. Okay, I'm yeah. sure you can Google these these commercials and see them. And uh, my phone's always listening to me. It's on airplane mode, and it just turned on. Um, and uh, and it's you see these lists of uh, of side effects. So it's common knowledge that yeah you take a pill it might have some type of side effects that's not something new you know but yet this one was like all of a sudden unsafe i'm like if it was unsafe why and i'm not saying it's safe i'm not i'm not promoting a pill i'm not promoting a a treatment i should say what i what i'm saying is that if it was this dangerous why is it only discussed now why wasn't it discussed before? Why has it been FDA approved for so long? Why has it been one of those essential drugs that they, they give for people for malaria and so many other uh, uh, uses all these years? Um, it's because this is the reason why, because they wanted to fast track the vaccine. And if there was any alternative treatment, anything that could be considered a treatment that worked for uh, COVID-19, then they couldn't legally fast track the vaccine. So all these corners that they're cutting with the FDA couldn't happen if, if, um, if they had some other treatment, because basically if we, if we had another treatment, you know, the FDA or the government would say, Hey, you know, we're not going to let you cut corners because at least we have a alternative. We have something else. But if we say we have, um, sorry, sorry. How was um, swine flu handled in the States? Because they did fast track a vaccine through for H1N1. um, And there was also Tamiflu available as a treatment an effective treatment. Hmm. Don't know. Well, you know what's funny about the swine flu is that uh, 
most people don't even fucking remember it, even though it killed thousands of people. And it why? Because it had zero, like they didn't do anything to affect our lives. It had zero effect on our lives. Like yep. the thing is, I think people are naive to the fact that people are dying every day. I think when you put a microscope on one thing, right? So if we did car accidents or car deaths, right? And we, and we reported on every single car death, okay? And we said one more person died. Two more people died. Oh, Massachusetts had 100 people die of car accidents today. We, uh, oh, that's, you know, our numbers up to thousands or millions, whatever it may be. Cars might eventually feel like the most dangerous thing known to man, you know, because it's like, oh, my God, yeah. look at the fucking numbers. Look at these numbers. But the truth is, you know, people are dying every day. If you work at a hospital, if you work at an ER, there's people... People are dying cancer every day. People are dying of diabetes every day. People are dying of all different things every day. If you put a microscope on any of those, then it's going to feel like the biggest issue ever. I think most people were very naive to the fact that when when they were going to work, when they were whatever watching movies, going you know going out drinking, hospitals were full of dead people, full of people dying, and that they weren't aware of. And uh, so it's just one of those things where I just think that in many cases, like people were just naive to all these things. I, I think it was like uh, I was sh- I, I'm now I, I forget because during uh, the lot at the height of lockdown, I remember sharing all these things that kind of put it in perspective. But like, I think 20,000 people die a day of hunger of hunger that doesn't need a mm-hmm. test that doesn't need a cure. Or well, it doesn't need a vaccine, uh, vaccine, I should say, or it doesn't. So it doesn't need any research or development. It, all it needs is food. You just have to feed them. It's an easy solution. Why aren't we coming together as a as a, as a world to, to solve that issue? Why? Probably because it kills dark skinned people. Let's be honest. And probably because most of them are, are are not you know white rich people. You know, so it doesn't really affect us. This actually scared you know, the rich person, cause like, Oh, this could be me, you know? So, I mean, that could be a, a part of it, but, um, but there's, my point is there's tons of things that, I mean, cancer kills tons of people. I mean, it, there's so many things that kill people that we're just naive to, you know, we, that we just, people, I just don't think we're aware of. And, and the swine flu, there's a, a swine flu back in the, what was in the seventies where uh, they, they, the U S really promoted a vaccine and a lot of people got, uh, the vaccine and had neurological issues. Some even died. And there's a 60 minutes piece on an old one that you could still find on YouTube from time to time. Um, it's hard to find any of this stuff. Like uh, how long you guys been podcasting? Three years. Three years. Three years. Yep. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're, yeah. So even when you started podcasting, if you're doing research, wasn't that hard to find like a alternative perspective on something or some independent researcher journalist today? Like right now, you research any of the shit we're talking about, you're like, these guys are full of shit. I can't find this stuff. You can't find it because they literally scraped it from the internet. There was, so in the pandemic documentary, there was a case, and now I don't remember the exact details, but there was, there was a situation where like um, Bill Gates was linked to some vaccine injuries, I believe in Africa, uh, or the Gates and Melinda Foundation, I believe. Um, that story like the the filmmaker uh, Mickey Willis could not find that information anymore when he was doing a documentary. He had, he had to contact the government of the country to get documents and get that information because it was scraped from the internet. Like the links that they went to make sure that like you can't run into this stuff is crazy. I mean, they just force feed you MSNBC, Fox news, CNN, CBS, 
you know, BBC, whatever it may be. I mean, look at, look at what happened with London real, right? He's not a conspiracy theorist. Like Brian Rose is not a conspiracy theorist. He has Dorian Yates on. He has, who actually is a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but, uh, <laughs> but he has, uh, uh, you know, he has a, a lot of people on who, who just are just, filmmakers or or, or uh, athletes or whatever it may be just famous celebrities whatever and uh all he does is he's kind of like a uh, larry king you know he's more of a listener than he is a talker and he just listens he asks questions he never seems to promote something or, or be against something but he lets you talk and he and and like he said during one of the uh that after they got censored one of the interviews he did with david ike afterwards he's like i don't I, it's something along the lines of like a, i don't have to agree with everything you say to defend your right to say it and it's absolutely true like he wasn't promoting violence david ike he wasn't promoting you know anybody to hurt anybody or anything like that he was just sharing his ideas. And if you think they're ridiculous, that's fine. But why should that be censored? I mean, I know a lot of fucking ridiculous ideas. One thing that pisses me off the most is Twitter. Um, I feel like I'm like the, the, the younger Alex Jones. I'm getting all worked up over this, <laughs> over everything I talk about, <laughs> but, uh, uh, black helicopters, but, um, it, it's, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm too fucking slow on it. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. <laughs> Do you guys listen to the OBDM podcast? Yeah, yeah, I'm a yeah big influence on us OBDM Midnight Mike. Uh, yeah, yeah, Midnight Mike's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, as you know, he does the sh- the Union of the Unwanted shows with yeah. us or whatnot. And I always get mad at him because I'm like, dude, you, why don't you put some more of those you know those little samples in? And he's like, oh, I don't want to interrupt anybody. I don't want to. Uh, uh, it makes it. It makes it though. I, I think so too. You know, it, it's funny because. Charlie, Ro- one of the reasons we all connected was because Charlie Robinson, uh, he's a huge fan of the OBDM podcast. You know who Charlie Robinson is, mm-hmm. right? From Macroaggressions. I've just read his book. Yeah, the Octopus. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And he has another another one coming out soon. And uh, so he's he's a huge fan of the OBDM podcast. And I didn't I didn't know this, and it's just something that never got brought up. But uh, I, I end up being a guest on the OBDM podcast and then immediately Charlie text messages or I think he texted me or emailed, emailed me. And he's like, dude, I love that fucking show. I listen to every single episode. He's like, and I'm like, well, how about we all connect? We get together. So we end up getting together. And then, uh, you know, Mike was a, a, a fan of, of Sam's and, and, uh, Charlie is a fan of Sam's. He, you know, he was on his show too. And me and Sam, uh, started talking and that's how it all kind of came together but uh yeah mike's like one of those gem of of a shows that i think because it's weird because there's like mike's tribe like that that fan base hasn't really i I feel like they there's a lot of people from our neck of the woods that you know who might listen to me or james corbett or ben swan who aren't familiar with his show but i think would love his show the same way charlie loves his show or love your show because it's not that serious all the time you know and sometimes you need if i can get a little pieces of information and and something interesting but also a lot of fun conversation then yeah i mean that's probably the best the best combination that's that's the way we do it we make people sit through an hour of an interview first and then we'd be silly and play silly sound effects for a bit oh yeah i'm with (laughs) you on that and uh, yeah it's great the union of the unwanted people should check that out and um, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to bounce ricky (laughs) it's it's nearly 1am here (laughs) yeah i'm lucky i'm uh, i don't have to work tomorrow because i had to get the uh, notorious COVID test today. Yeah. Yeah, but that's for another podcast. Uh, oh, right. Okay, we're saving that, <laughs> aren't we? Yeah, right. Maybe. Just hold on line, Ricky, while we play ourselves out. Thanks for coming. 
links will be yeah. in the descriptions eavesdroppers check out the ripple effect and uh, ricky's website okay right we're back in a flash no we'll be back on sunday <laughs> saturday sunday this right. is going out next week oh right okay <laughs> all right back in a flash Children with the war. I got hairy legs. Because I'm literally a communist. <coughs> uh.